There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Mania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. And I'm Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse College in wonderful Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, everyone. I'm coming to you from the ESPN studio in Midtown Manhattan in New York. We've got a pretty cool show for you today, and I'm proud of us. We've been talking about sports and HBCUs for one year, and this is our 50th show. Yay! Wow! Wow! Congratulations, fellows! Wow! Nice work, um, Sports Center anchor and longtime sports journalist L. Duncan will break down what to expect from the NBA Conference Finals and the steps she took to get to one of the top spots at ESPN. Then we'll talk to two graduating seniors, one at an HBCU, the other at a predominantly white institution about their college experiences and where they are going next. Lastly, the fellows and I will weigh in on what Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, and Kanye West say about America. But first, let's take a look at the news. Each week, the fellows and I predict the stories everyone will be talking about next week. Um, I think people will be talking about how the Golden State Warriors are the only team that can play Golden State Warriors basketball. I mean, though a lot of people think the Houston Rockets can compete with them by playing their exact same style, and I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, uh, the Warriors are going to be the Warriors again, and they'll prove how much better they are than Houston. Um, everyone's definitely going to be talking about the NBA draft lottery next week on Tuesday, um, especially in the case of Luka and seeing where he's going to go. We will still be talking about LeBron James and his domination of the Eastern Conference. He plays the Celtics first games the 13th. They can't stop him. Um, they have no one to guard him. So, yeah, LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that this time next week, people are going to be in awe and stunned about how the Celtics are taking down the King and how they're cruising <laughs> and grinding toward a showdown with the Houston Rockets. That's what I think people are going to be talking about. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You're just double wrong. (laughs) We shall see. I ain't been wrong yet. As Nikki Giovanni said, ain't never been wrong yet. Well, we'll see. If you're a fan of SportsCenter, you've seen L. Duncan in the morning and in the evening covering daily sports news in the United States and around the country. 
ATL Duncan is an Atlanta native. Shout out to ATL. Okay. ATL. <laughs> All right. Now, L is a, an Atlanta native, and she's wanted to work at ESPN, I guess, forever. She entered the game nearly 15 years ago. And if you look at her, can't you can't so like 15 years ago she was like 10 but no uh <laughs> but but she 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 entered the game about 15 years ago uh l got her start in radio at a sports station that now no longer exists and worked her way to sports center in 2016 uh, in between all that she did everything from traffic reporting in boston sideline reporting on the nba's atlanta hawks and she gave post game commentary about the atlanta falcons well we'll, we'll ask you about the Super Bowl later, uh, but she did. Oh, you don't she, have to. No, I will. Good. I will. Everybody <laughs> says anything. I've got. To, I, I, even if it's ten years later, I'm gonna ask him about that. About that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she she gave post game commentary about the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, to now, anchors one of the most popular sports shows on television. In her spare time, she's a wife, a soon to be mother. All right, a soon to be mother and yeah. an advocate for women in sports journalism. Uh, Elle's on the line now to tell us how she made the climb and what she's making of this year's NBA playoff. Welcome to the show, Elle. Thank you so much for having me, Bill and company. This is uh, this is awesome to be here. Yeah, that no, was great. It's really, really great having you. We're gonna. We got so many questions for you. Uh, which one of the fellows wants to start off? This is Isaiah from Morehouse. So, uh, as a woman in sports, can you talk to me about? Um, kind of your rise and how what challenges you've had to overcome uh, during your career? Um, sure, Isaiah. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that is not unique to my experience is um, really trying to, to prove as a woman that, A, you know what you're talking about without having had the ability to have the experiences of the sports you talked about, right? So I sit at a desk with Hall of Famers that played football, and I still have to have an opinion and an informed one knowing that in the back of many people's minds, what would you know? Not only did you not play football at any level, but you're talking to someone that has a bust in Canton. And so I think for most of us, it's about trying to prove ourselves. Uh, it's about proving that we're doing it for the right reasons. Um, if you see a male journalist exchanging phone numbers so that he can have a source um, on a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team, you don't think anything of it. You think mm. that's what he's doing. He's doing his due diligence as mm. a journalist. He is creating sources so that he can talk to people and so that he can have a, you know, a unique relationship with the team that he covers. If you see a woman do it, the first thing that you think is she's trying to find her a man. Mm. She's wow. an athlete chaser. Wow. Why wow. is she here? What are her, what's her motivation? What's she trying to do? And so um, being conscious of how different it is and how you have to approach your job has always been a, a, a specific challenge and a unique challenge to women. Um, but I think for me as well, one of the biggest challenges that I had to face, Isaiah, was comfort. Mm. And I always wanted to do sports and I always loved sports, but... I found my, my path, as Bill kind of talked about with my bio, I found myself at 22, 23 years old. I left broadcasting school to, to take a job in broadcasting. 
And I found myself as a college dropout making well into six figures, doing really well for myself, getting free tickets to things, getting hooked up with free appetizers at the Chili's, being a neighborhood superstar, if you will. And I got really comfortable with that. I did. I didn't push myself. I I was complacent at the wrong time to be complacent. When everyone else was taking all these jobs and, and working really hard to accomplish their goals, you know, I was kind of fat and satisfied. And um, it took you know, my radio station pushing me out, laying me off, um, deciding not to pick up my contract for me to really say, you know, do your thing or get off the pot. And mm. so for me, I always faced complacency. And, um, and while I always worked very hard and while I always had about a hundred jobs, I was never really brave enough to take a gamble on myself. And I think that being forced to make a gamble and to take a gamble on myself was the single, you know, single most important thing that I did in my career. And, and that gamble was moving to Boston where I didn't know anyone in a sports town that is rabid and that is, it will hold you accountable for everything coming from, let's be honest, an unaffected sports town like Atlanta. Um, and it was a huge, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, right. you know, in Atlanta, right. you can, but the truth is, you know, it, Isaiah. It's not that we don't care about sports. It's that you can say whatever you want. You could be wrong. I could go on air and say that Matt Ryan led the league in fumbles and that not be correct. And no one would hold me accountable. But in Boston, they will. They yeah, are the true. most knowledgeable yeah. sports fan, right? Their sports yeah. acumen is ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, and, and then on top of all of that, it's Boston. You know, I went from the blackest city in the country to probably the whitest. Uh, it was a huge culture shock for me. But thank goodness that I decided to, to, to do that because that is exactly what led me to ESPN where I am now. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I kind of want to piggyback on something that you said. Um, when you made your transition to Boston, uh, how was your perception that you were taking, you know, as a black woman in sports journalism, how do you feel like you were perceived by the Boston, you know, the Boston fans and Boston fan base compared to the Atlanta fan base? Well, listen, the truth is, is that I have my own set of issues with how I was treated or perceived as just a black person in Boston. But I will say that in terms of sports itself, I don't necessarily see, at least for the people that cover their teams, I didn't necessarily see a delineation between, you know, how a white woman or a black woman would be treated. In Boston, when it comes to sports, they just want to know that you know what you're talking about. And, right, right? like that's, that's the only thing that I ever faced was, they, you know, they call people pink hats, and these are people who jumped on the bandwagon with the Patriots when they started winning and the Tom Brady years and whatnot. It's all about history in Boston. And so before I moved there, I read – I wasn't reading about what the Bruins were doing this year. I wasn't reading reading about what the, what the Red Sox were doing in 2014. I was reading about Bobby Orr. I was reading about mm. Ted Williams. I was reading about Whoa. Larry Bird. Like, mm. those were the things that I knew would help me ingratiate myself to Boston. And once they figured out that, okay, she understands the history of Boston, even if she's not from here, she respects the hustle of Boston, and she understands that sports is not a joke here. I think once Have they understood the that, they gave me more. They gave me a little bit more respect, you know. Mm-hmm. But I never felt like if I was getting any kind of vitriol from fans, it had to do with being black. I felt it was more about sports. Now, the city itself is a different story, but in the sports realm, it's all about how much you know, and that is how you are measured in Boston. Um, Since you got in the game 15 years ago, what was the most challenging story you've ever had to cover, or even the craziest story you've had to cover? So, 
I'll say this, that one of the challenges of being a journalist in period, and I think that you all uh, are learning about this, but you'll really understand once you kind of join the working sports world is trying to be as unbiased as possible when you're presenting or talking to people who are not exactly like-minded or that you disagree with. And I have joined ESPN at a time where it is an absolute assault on who we are and whether we're unbiased or not, whether we're too liberal, um, at the same time trying to fight this narrative and also covering stories like Colin Kaepernick and having to remind coworkers that it's in the wording that you say. When you say anthem protest, you are, even if it's inadvertently, you are you're making it seem as though he is protesting. These other players are protesting the national anthem when in fact they are demonstrations during the anthem and, and frustrations when you hear people say things that are their own opinions that you just don't agree with. And so I would say that it's been really difficult because the truth is I got into this industry because, you know, I worked briefly in, in news. I hated having to find a way to segue from an orphanage burning to the ground and children dying to, (laughs) oh, the local weather, and, like, there's a great festival in town. I hated that. That's crazy. I hated it. It it is. It's it's the worst. It's crazy. And so I got into sports because I love how passionate sports people are, and I love – that while taken seriously, it's not that serious. Right. And But we're talking about, you know, a time where everything is that serious and where right. these social injustices are difficult to watch and difficult to see. It's it, We're talking about a time where I have to deliver a report about someone who's being blackballed from the league, um, or at least the perception that he is, while not having, you know, the disgust come across that I may feel. So mm-hmm. I think right now it's difficult, just, again, based on, on kind of – what the narrative is, which is a totally incorrect one. People that say that, that ESPN is, is liberal um, and biased are just, that's just code word for their diverse. And I truly stand by that. And I know that ESPN and that Disney in general believes in diversity and inclusion. And if that means that they have to continue to be called liberals for that, I don't think that's part of a liberal agenda. I think that's part of a human rights one. But um, so I'd say that's been pretty difficult uh, to, to cover is just, you know, trying to be fair and balanced and play the middle when you feel really passionate about about things that are affecting your community. So I kind of want to ask you, how do you manage that passion? Because, I mean, when I'm, you know, confronting someone who has a different opinion than me, I'm 20, 21, about to be 22 in, in June. And it's like, it, it's one of the hardest things, especially being at, being at, a, at Morehouse, you know, I've really kind of been, I don't want to say segregated, but kind of not in front of as many white people as I know I will be, you know, in the coming years. Um, and I kind of want to know just how do you manage that passion, especially when you're confronting someone with a different opinion? Well, here's the great thing, Isaiah, is like, if you want to get into sports journalism, is that you don't have to manage that passion. I mean, we, I mean, I will scream at someone over something like who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan. And LeBron. you're not talking about, right? <laughs> I knew you would say that. Oh, I knew you would say that. <laughs> See, uh, my argument in that always is why do we always have to compare one to the other? Like, why can't they just stand alone and be fantastic on their own? You know, why that's, can't that's we just too, revel logical. in the greatness that we're watching? Right. That's too right? Like, it's it's ridiculous. Like, why can't why can't we revel in the greatness while we're watching it? Why are we we're always ready to either ascribe someone as the next or um, or talk about the person who's going to take them down? It's like we're already doing who's the next LeBron. Like, but we still have Pete <laughs> LeBron, so let's just enjoy LeBron. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But I think that's why people love sports is that because you can yell at each other and then agree to disagree and shake hands and call it a day. Now, mm-hmm. some sport, you know, some some fans can't do that. You see those videos of like little league dads like duking it out at a game, and like some people don't know how to, to have that kind of perspective. But that's what's great is that so long as you don't get nasty, sports is supposed to be about passion. It's supposed to be about you know irrational passion for something for a sport that you've never played mm-hmm. for a team that doesn't really care about you for a bunch of dudes you'll never meet um, simply because of where you're from or where your allegiances lie. And I think that that's what's great about sports is that the whole damn thing is irrational. Uh, but is. we can appreciate that. We can kind of enjoy that. So, El, who is the greatest of all so basketball players of all time? If you were yeah, forced who, to pick. Who is the greatest pick, of all time? Yeah, if you were forced to pick, who would it be? <laughs> this is so unfair. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Come on. This is really unfair. Okay, this is really unfair. I I'm still going to go with Jordan. I'm going to go with Jordan. Yeah, I'm still going to go with Jordan just because I've been fortunate enough to watch them both play and I'm going to go with Jordan simply because of in the same way, in the same way that LeBron kind of revolutionized his position, that's what Jordan was. And Jordan's ability to win and to lead and want to be like he had all of the best of LeBron and the best of Kobe right like Kobe didn't have the same intangibles I think that LeBron or the same skills necessarily like pure athletic ability that LeBron and Michael Jordan had but he had more of a winning ability than anyone like he wanted to win so bad and I would go to war with Kobe Bryant and I feel like Michael Jordan had that as well like he just wanted to to win more than he wanted to lose or he didn't want to lose more than he wanted to win and uh and it was a different league back then I mean they could assault you they could physically assault you and he still he still, you know, was able to be Michael Jordan. So, but again, I think they're so incredibly fantastic in their own, in their own rights. And so, I think when it's all said and done, that we could we could end up saying LeBron is the goat. And for people your age, LeBron is your goat. I mean, when did LeBron come into the league? When you were like three years old? Like, <laughs> I, was, you know what I, mean? I was seven. I was seven. I was about five, six. Yeah. See, you guys don't even know Michael Jordan. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because. I mean, because it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, clearly. I mean, <laughs> year, dec- dec- <laughs> yeah, dec- no, listen, and this had, decades have passed, but who's the all-time league sports? I mean, you know, he's still the all-time. I, I don't know why people sleep on Kareem. I mean, I'm not, not, not sleep on him. Well, people not sleep, sleep on, on him. Not sleeping on him. Yeah, not okay. sleep Y'all on just him. didn't choose him. Okay, next question. It's hard to choose somebody who doesn't who doesn't have the ball in their hands all the time. Like you have to pass Kareem or Bougie Boy the ball. Mr. Roden is only saying he's only saying Kareem because he's the Kareem of sports journalism. That's the only reason. That's really, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, Donovan, you get the job. Hey, hey, L, you, L, L, you, L, you gotta tell him that too. There's nothing wrong with eating a little cheese too. That, that's that's okay too. Suck it up is okay. Listen. There is nothing wrong with eating some cheese. You got to play the game, man. You got to play the game. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Always remember that. Okay, guys. Let's get. Can we get back on script now? <laughs> can we? Can now? Now, now, now that uh, now that um, Donovan's got a job, uh, can we? Can we talk about the conference? The conference finals. You know, we know we know the conference finals are set. Cavs and Celtics, Warriors and Rockets. You know, I know by the time you hear this, we're probably going to have a little better sense of. Who may be going to the finals? But uh, are you surprised by the matchups 
you know, you know, we, we're not going to see Kyrie, LeBron for yourself. But what do you what do you think? Let's talk about uh, Cavs and Celtics first. I'm very surprised with that matchup. Although I don't know why anybody at this point doubts Brad Stevens. Like he continuously, every year that he's been there, he overperforms. His teams overperform. Um, we always say next year they'll be this, and they end up being that this year. So, but I, I got to be honest. It's not that I had tons of faith in Philadelphia. I know they were a really young team, but getting Embiid back and having him and Simmons, I just, with, you know, kind of the veteran leadership and that outside threat of J.J. Redick, I just thought they'd be able to get the better of a Celtics team that doesn't have their best player and is also playing with kids. I mean, every time someone talks about the Sixers and how young they are, and usually it's Sixers fans saying, like, trust the process, we're just babies, we don't get it. I'm like, listen, outside of Al Horford, do you know that the Celtics starting five only beats the Sixers starting five in age by two tenths of a year? They're a bunch of babies too. Right, like right, they're right. not. You know what I mean? They've got they've got a bunch. They've got four of their starters are under twenty five as well. So, but Brad Stevens is a wizard. I mean, he's ridiculous. Like yeah. watching him concoct these plays is insane, and he gets the absolute best. I I covered Al Horford. I love Al. He's a good guy. I covered him when I was in Atlanta. I was the sideline reporter for the Atlanta Hawks, mm. and Al would find a way to always contribute, but he was not his. He was not always at his best in the mm. playoffs. He would uh, shrink, or he would yeah. give you a ten and twelve. Right, like he's always been known as like the you know consistent, like a ten yeah. and twelve guy, ten points, twelve yeah. rebounds. Like that's what he's good for. He is getting so much out of Al Horford. He's getting so much out of a Terry Rozier, who people wanted to. Just like trade away for a bag of chips a couple years ago right. when he was a main red claw. Like he's getting so much out of Jason Tatum. Jalen mm. Brown's fastly becoming one of the best young two-way players. I don't know why I doubted them, but mm. I just thought that the Sixers would pull this out right. somehow. And boy did they not. So I'm excited for this matchup. I still think it goes to LeBron. I do. I just think if he can get anything, you know, the the Celtics need to click on all cylinders. They do in order to take down uh, the Cavs. And all the Cavs have to do is have one complimentary or ancillary figure give LeBron a little bit of support. And if he's playing at the same clip he's been playing at over the last two rounds, uh, I think that they're going to wrap this thing up in five or six. Um, And in the West, I mean, I think we all saw this coming. I think everyone Mm -hmm. saw Warriors-Rockets. My question to you guys is, do you think the Rockets have enough to no. win this series? Mania, let, 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 let me ask Mania that. Mania, Mania, because you're Donovan and I'll well be Bogart. Mania, what do you think? I don't think so. I definitely think it's going to be Cavs and Warriors matchup for the finals, honestly. Mm. Hey, 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 before the guys get in, I just have a question for you, L. And mm-hmm. this kind of goes back to the whole LeBron uh, thing. What would LeBron have to do in your mind? You're a Jordan guy, and all the answers are reasonable. But, I mean, if if, if, if LeBron were to win a championship this year, then leave and go to a third franchise and lead a third franchise to a championship, would that, in your mind, leapfrog him uh, over Jordan to the top of Everest to lead three different franchises to three different championships? I'll tell you what, I'll, I will raise that and I will say if LeBron can lead this team 
to a championship, uh, then oh, he's wow. gonna he's gonna leapfrog Jordan for me. Okay. If he can lead this team, you know, forget going to another franchise. This is this is a they've had what sixty one different starting lineups in the last two months. I mean, there is no reason there is no reason at all he should win a championship with this team. There just isn't. It's enough to go through the East because it's LeBron and everybody knows that he himself can get through the Eastern Conference. But if he is able with this team to actually beat the Warriors or the Rockets, then he would leapfrog Michael Jordan to me as the greatest of all time. Oh, period. Wow. Okay. Because I would there definitely is... have to agree with you. Yeah. Am I, I right? Agree with you. Yeah, oh, I agree with you, man. Wow. Yeah. You've heard it. I agree. You've heard it. I remember Donovan and I were having that conversation last year um, in the dorm. Like I said, I personally said if LeBron James can beat the Warriors, even with, you know, uh, Kyrie and everything, like I just personally think that, you know, no. He needs to get to four rings by doing something that's yeah. basically improbable. Impossible. And like him winning yeah. a championship with this team would be basically improbable. So exactly. if he were able to pull that off, he would be he would be considered the greatest of all time. time so there it is. More. We have come to an agreement. Yeah, maybe we should end in end, end it now. But listen, we only have time for um, maybe you know a couple more questions. All right, cool. Well, for me, uh, for me, L, I kind of wanted to know. Um, you know, you've done so much in your career so far, and you talked a little bit earlier about how you had to push yourself to not become complacent. So where do you see yourself going from here, and what's your ultimate goal um, that you want to achieve, um, you know, in sports journalism? So I have a strict policy that within um, two to three years of a new job or a new position, I do not look too far into the future. I think that we have... Um, this ability, especially as ambitious people, which can be fantastic, but as ambitious people to calculate every step of our life and every step of our career. And while I agree that that is important at a certain part of your career, especially at your age, you should be very calculated. I don't want to ever look back and say, boy, you didn't enjoy some of those glory days while you were in the middle of them, really. Like, you didn't enjoy because you were so busy looking ahead. You can't see the forest through the trees. So my goal is not sports uh, is role specific. My hope is more that I will continue to grow as a journalist, become a better storyteller, uh, find a way to entertain better, uh, find a way to balance becoming a new mom, being a good wife, being a great coworker, and being a good journalist. Those are my goals. They're not, you know, I can't sit here and say, like, well, I want to host the NFL draft in five years. Like, those are not things that I, I think about. I am a big believer that if you focus on what you can control, the controllables, which is working hard and growing and getting better as a professional, um, then those opportunities will open up for you. I have one last question for you. Do you think that this uh, NBA season is the year of the rookies, especially with players like Donovan Mitchell? Oh, absolutely. Donovan Mitchell, man. I mean, listen, and I hate playing this hindsight game. I hate, like, you know, people can look and be like, oh, the Pistons had a chance of Donovan Mitchell. Nobody thought Donovan Mitchell would be this good. He's ridiculous. And then when you think Donovan Mitchell's going to, like, you know, when he's making a run to break records held by your boy when he was affectionately known as Lou Alcender, um, and then you see Jason Tatum go and tie those records and have the potential to break them. This is 100% the year of the rookie, and it's a fantastic notion. Even if you don't want to consider Ben Simmons a rookie, he's a young guy. It's the year of the young guy for sure. And I think that the reason that the NBA is growing exponentially over other sports is because, A, their marketing is fantastic. They understand their audience. They understand their demo. But because the future continues to be bright. So you've got on the same court coming up in a 
a few days, LeBron James, one of the GOATs, you know, the OG, the 33-year-old that's still playing better than anyone in the league. And then you've got these 20-year-olds who grew up with him on their poster, and they're balling too. And uh, these young guys are are absolutely fantastic. And Donovan Mitchell was a huge deal for Utah. (laughs) Well, L L. Duncan is fantastic too, and her time is here as well. Uh, hey, Al, listen, um, we're going to let you roll because I know you've got things to do, sports center to, uh, to to execute, fans to build on. There are people waiting, you know, <laughs> fans outside. But listen, in, in, all, in all seriousness, sure. thank you so, 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 so much uh, for, for coming on the show. Give us your time. I really appreciate it. I know the fellows really appreciate it. Uh, and now we've got to got to get you back when the finals are over so you can kind of gloat. I would love to. If Lebr- hey, listen, if LeBron wins this championship, I would love to come on and just hear the guys come on and say that they were wrong and that oh. uh, say oh, that. Luck. Well, no, good you, luck you believed that. all along that yeah. LeBron was the guy. Good luck. Good luck yeah, with yeah. that. Okay, so so Bill, maybe me and you will have to come on then right. and say LeBron is the goat if he's able to take this team to a, a win. And thank you for the time. And I look forward to these young journalists coming and trying to take my job one day. <laughs> come for it. <laughs> no, you got to bring it. All right. Love it. Love it. <laughs> okay. Hey, I guess that L Duncan. Uh, you've seen her on Sports Center. Uh, just really, a, a, just an amazing talent, great human being. Uh, oh, by the way, do you know whether you're gonna have a girl or boy, or is that a secret? I'm having a girl, and her Yay. name is Eva. Oh, so right. no secrets oh, wow. here. All yes, right. that's great. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, girls, I got a daughter. Girls are great. All right. Girls are the best. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, we're gonna take a short break, and when we come back. We'll talk with graduating seniors Brooklyn McDaniels and Ibrahim Conte about their experiences in college and what they want to do next. Stay tuned. Well, it's another college graduation season here in the United States. As we speak, graduation gowns are probably being steamed, caps are being decorated, and graduates are marching across stage and collecting diplomas, hopefully and not dancing. Uh, graduation rates vary. Oh, wow. Dep- <laughs> graduation <laughs> rates vary depending on the type of institution, public, private, nonprofit, and so on. Uh, going a little deeper, the graduation rate for black students is 38%, which is less than the numbers for white, Asian, and Latinx students. Just 15% of black students attending four-year colleges will walk away with a degree from an HBCU. Today, we have two graduating seniors with us to talk about their experiences in college and their future plans. Brooklyn McDaniels is a marketing major who will soon collect a degree from the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Ibrahim Conte is finishing up at Morehouse College in Atlanta, where he studies computer science. Hey, welcome to the show, Brooklyn, and hi, Ibrahim. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Hello. Thank you for having me as well. Glad to be here. Right, right. Okay. So let's dive right into it. What attracted you to your respective institutions, and what was the deciding factor? So for me, I really wasn't sure. I looked at HBCUs. I looked at a lot of different schools out of state. Um, I went to visit Ohio State after being admitted. Um, I just loved the energy. Like, everyone was happy to be there. People were prideful. 
there was so much going on. Everyone was smiling, and it just it felt like a place where I could really thrive. And so that's why I actually decided to accept. Um, and it definitely turned out to be just that. It's really neat going to a school where people enjoy and look forward to, like, all the things going on at their institution, and there's a big sports culture. So it's just, like, my whole four years was full of fun and a lot a lot going on. So that's exactly what I needed. I have a really big personality, so I wanted a school to back that up. So that's how I ultimately made my decision. All right. So for me, I grew up in a predominantly white area in uh, San Jose, California. And um, my sophomore year of high school, my brother – he actually started to attend Howard University's Ph.D. African-American Studies program, and uh, he had me come over for spring break. And I had never heard of any uh, of HBCUs before. And uh, really, from that point, from going to Howard and seeing all the um, blacks, different types of black people that I hadn't seen back home, I was really sold on HBCUs. The energy there was just spectacular uh, to me. Uh, everybody was friendly. Everybody was open. And um, I just really felt that I needed to have the black experience before I really ventured off into the world. So when I came down to making my decision on whether or not I wanted to go to PWI or HBCU, that was really the deciding factor. That And um, I just really wanted to have a change of pace. A lot of California students tend to just stay in state, and I wanted to see something outside of my uh, point of view. Uh, so when you crossed, you know, uh, lines, like if you went from an HBCU to for Ibrahim going from an HBCU to a PWI and for you, Brooklyn, going from a PWI to HBCU, either either for a party or just to hang out over there. Like what did you guys notice was the biggest difference? Hmm. That's a good question. I'd say, you know, for me, I didn't, I didn't right off the bat notice too many differences, but I did have a lot of friends who encountered like some not so wonderful situations as far as like trying to go to different, like, frat parties and stuff like that. Like, there's a really big fraternity culture, a white fraternity and sorority culture at Ohio State. So I had friends who, like, I think they tried to go to a party, and another person told them that they had their names had to be, like, Jessica and Ashley to get in, as opposed to their actual wow. name. Mm. So, wow. right, it's terrible. So I personally never went through that, but I heard lots of stories of people who did. Um, and then secondly, I'd say this, there's a much smaller black community, but I think that made us a lot tighter. So... I immediately came in and sought out people that were, you know, very involved and leaders in the black community. I got involved with the BSA, um, which I eventually became president of. And so I think it's really important to just make connections as a freshman when you go to a PWI because the people who are leaders in the community are going to be graduating and, you know, moving along in their careers. So, like, I think you kind of have to, like, you have to really keep the ground running at a PWI as far as making connections and, you know, staying, staying connected to people. Well, for me, the thing about going to an HBCU was – it really it highlighted my individuality more so rather than things that were or titles that people prescribed to me. So I wasn't when I came to Morehouse, I wasn't just black. I was Ibrahim. And through my process of being at Morehouse, you know, I had to, like, learn who Ibrahim was. And in terms of like parties, parties are, are fairly open here. Like everybody has, you know, different things uh, going on. Um, I've never experienced any like exclusivity in terms of like what the parties are it's really just like you know pick your poison whatever you want to do on a friday saturday but one of the things that had suited me well throughout my uh experience in college was kind of like how adaptive i am to different types of people so i'm african as well as the fact that i'm muslim so i've been able to like cross different uh cultural spaces and the fact that we're all black just makes it all uh come together nicely that's interesting that you mentioned that. I kind of want to get both you guys' thoughts on 
Um, there are a few television shows um, about college life, obviously. You have BET's The Quad, um, which is based on a fictitious HBCU. And obviously, you have the Netflix series Dear White People, which is based on uh, black students dealing um, dealing with uh, different relations at PWIs. Both, you know, both black students portray dealing with racism, you know, sexism, dating, you know, and getting classwork done. I kind of wanted to know, I want, want to get your, your individual opinions on, do you think these shows are realistic to the actual experience that you have at your universities? Um, hmm, good question. I, I think that they're, I mean, I've, I've, I've watched both, uh, both shows and I think they're highly dramatized. I do think, I do see like elements of some of the, the cultural elements from those shows in our institutions. However, like in terms of like an all encompassing, like this is the manifesto for black, uh, or HBCUs. Like I don't think the quad is like the, um, the representation of HBCUs. Mm -hmm. However, they do take elements that I do, um, I would say are, are in existence at our school. So I to be completely honest, I actually haven't watched either of those television shows. Um, I don't watch much TV. But I will say, you know, there aren't a lot of TV shows about black students at PWI. And I would say that it is a very, very unique experience. And so I think it would be really, really hard to portray that as a TV show. So I know that these shows are about, well, I'm not about you know, white people, but I know that Squad's about hatred to you, but like, it's really, really interesting. I think that, you know, Ohio State kind of dreams diversity and inclusion, but you're really not feeling that when you're on campus. Like, I'm typically one of three black students in a class or a lecture of 200 students. Like, mm. you know, you really have to find that community. And there's a lot of black students at Ohio State who aren't involved in black issues, is what we call it, because they choose not to be. And, like, it, it, it's really interesting. Like, it just, you know, the community is not very large. I think this year it was reported that, there's only 5.3% black students at Ohio State. So I don't really know how that could be portrayed in TV, but I think I, I will take some time to watch the shows and see what similarities and differences I can find. I just wanted to tell you, Brooklyn, definitely watch Dear White People. Don't watch The Quad. I don't think The Quad is worth your time, but definitely watch Dear White People. Thank you for the suggestion, Isaiah. Thank you. <laughs> you said you yeah. gave the percentage of black students. Uh Probably typically and probably stereotypically, almost every one out of every three or four males you see on campus are probably athletes, probably football players or basketball literally players. Literally, most of them are the football team. It's, it's so sad. Yeah. And, 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 and how are they, I'm just curious, how do they relate to the other black students on campus? Are they kind of off to themselves or are they part of it or what, what's sort of their relationship? Yeah, no, I'm so glad you asked. This is something we talk about all the time. Um, so I would say as a freshman and a sophomore, like, I definitely noticed, like, any black athletes, but especially football players, being incredibly removed. You know, they kind of act like celebrities on campus. Like, they do their own thing. They don't really, you know, really interact with black OSU. Um, but I have noticed a change over time. So me now being a junior and a senior graduating, the younger kind of class, the younger group of football players are really trying to bridge that gap. Um, and it's funny because our Black Student Association actually partnered with the football team and we played, like, games with the football players and did, like, some icebreakers. And it was awesome. Like, it was a really wow. fun time. But it's sad that we have to, like, even, like, create an event or initiate an event to do that when it should be natural, you know. Because at the end of the day, we're all black students at Ohio State. And, yes, some are athletes and some aren't. But, you know, there really shouldn't be a divide. So to answer your mm -hmm. question, just, you know, put simply, there's a huge, huge kind of difference between a black student athlete kind of experience and a, a, a black student experience. 
to piggyback off what Brooklyn just said, in doing one of my stories that I'm doing with, uh, that's coming out soon, it's uh, dealing with a story that's basically dealing with grad transfers that go from HBCUs, HBCUs to PWIs to play basketball. And talking with uh, one of the players, Sam Hunt, who actually left North Carolina A&T to go play for NC State. One of the things Brooklyn just said was like word for word what he iterated to me during our interview. He said that going to NC State and playing at NC State, you're more of a superstar, celebrity there on campus. You're not incorporated into the actual culture of the university versus being at North Carolina A&T where he felt like it was a family atmosphere and he felt like he was just another student there. And it was, it's, it was, it's a different, it's a different dynamic for those players, especially those African American players that go to these top level PWIs because there are so many eyes watching them, which could make it harder for them to, you know, like Brooklyn said, get involved in different stuff for different, um, you know, different organizations that are on PWI campuses. Well, I wanted to say congratulations to you both on graduating. I kind of wanted to dive into what exactly are your post-graduation plans and talk to us about your experience getting there. Like, were you thinking, oh, should I go to grad school? Should I get a job? And I know both of you have, like, amazing things that you're doing after. So just share with us. Cool. Um, So post-grad, I'm actually going to work at YouTube as a software engineer. Uh, specifically on the YouTube music team as an iOS developer. Oh, cool. Congratulations. Um, so I'm excited. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank no. you. I'm extremely excited about that. Um, one, because I love music, and then two, I love tech. So it's just like a perfect mix of, of everything. And then, like, that's a, an emerging uh, streaming platform um, trying to, like, make waves between Spotify and Apple Music. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, essentially, like, where, how I got there and like how I made the decision between uh, grad school and industry was uh, it was kind of like a hard process I really had a like a mid-college crisis last year my junior year Uh, up until that point I've been doing uh, industry internships so I took like two summers uh, and I was interning at Google as a software engineer so like I didn't spend a lot of time at least in the first part of my undergraduate career um, working on anything in regards to like research, which is extremely important. If I wanted to take a PhD in computer science or even like talking to computer science PhDs. So like my junior year, which was really like the deciding factor, I kind of like took a step back and started to talk to different, like different types of people, uh, doctors or people with PhDs in computer science, trying to like kind of like figure out why they decide to do uh, what they did. But essentially what made me kind of like go into industry was more so that I wanted to be in a space where I could make impactful changes now and more so um, a place that I was comfortable with. But I believe that, you know, whatever I do in life, it should be, um, of course, guided by the light of trying to improve conditions for black people, but also that it's true to who I am and true to what I believe in in life. So, like, eventually, like, after my whole Google stint and my YouTube stint, I uh, want to start my own startup, specifically a music tech startup, to kind of, like, change the way that people consume and listen to music. So, hopefully, I could get there uh, down the line. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Very, very, very impressive. For me, um, law school time always been in my plans, but I'm not really sure whether I went to practice law or kind of where I want to take that George doctorate degree. Um, so I ended up applying for a lot of full-time positions right after graduation. Um, and I probably applied for like six or seven. 
actually made it to a lot of final round interviews. I was really excited. My hopes were really high. But every time I'd make it to the final round, I wouldn't actually get the position. I wouldn't be offered the position. So um, post-grad, I will be going to the National Football League. I'll be going to the NFL, um, doing a rotational wow. program. Great. It's called their Junior Rotational Program. It's been around for several years. But I'll kind of be transitioning through four different departments over two years. And departments could range between um, public relations, um, HR, broadcast, operations, any of those different things, marketing, sales. Uh, I'm not really sure my department's yet, but I'll find out as I go into them. Uh, but I could be in New York City, I could be in L.A., could be in D.C., and there's even a rotation in London. So I'm really excited to travel and get oh, to, wow. you know, figure out what my niche is within the industry. I know I love sports, I know I love entertainment, but I don't actually know, you know, functionally what I want to do. So this rotational program is ideal, so I can really kind of, you know, get a grasp on what I want to do. Um, and it's two years long, so it's kind of like a great period for me to get some real-work experience before I enter into that that law school admissions process. So I do plan on kind of taking the outside over the next two years of applying um, towards the end of my two-year rotational program and then hopefully going straight to law school um, to be done three years after that. It's amazing. Y'all really got a lot going on. It's amazing. I know the world is going to be happy that, you know, you guys are actually going out into it. So, you know. Oh, Isaiah, also congratulations on getting into Columbia. Oh, oh yeah! Ooh. Don't leave that Oh my God! Ooh. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Come on yeah, now! Don't do this! <laughs> don't do this! I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Ivy League, Ivy League, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. I really do. I appreciate you. The price <laughs> went up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. I do. I do. I do. Brooklyn graduated on Sunday. Ibrahim graduated on the twentieth. Can't wait. Counting down the days. But do you guys? you know, really feel prepared for the real world? Um, I think that's like a loaded question. Very loaded, yes. Very loaded. I think we've been in the real world for a long time, if I'm Mm. being completely honest. Now, a lot of us have, like, left our homes. Um, Although we're living in, like, a lot of, some of us have lived in dormitories, some of us have lived in homes or apartments with other people. Like, we've really been dealing with, like, a whole different group of of people like different types of people different people from all dif- different parts of the world like we're out of this bubble that we call home like i'm extremely comfortable when i go home when i'm here like i don't know what life is b- about to throw at me you know there's people who have jobs yeah. right now there are people who are worrying about their rent right now obviously this comes becomes escalated as you know life goes on like things get more more intense <laughs> but like if anything like i'm just waiting for uh, me, me getting my degree and me being outside of school is now the world saying, okay, now you're validated in real life in some form of fashion. So, like, now mm-hmm. take whatever you did for the last four years and try to apply and maximize yourself as much as possible. Um, I know that you guys kind of have to, like, wrap up, but we just wanted to ask about um, the University of Florida students, the black college students getting pulled off stage. I'm not sure if you watched the video, but it was quite a scene to watch. What did you guys think about that, or did you have an opinion? No, can you explain what happened? I didn't hear about this. So, so basically, um, at the University of Florida, you know, when they were handed their diplomas, you know how you do like a little dance or something. I don't, I know, I know at Ohio State, I know your guys' graduation was a little different because y'all didn't walk across the stage and stuff like that. Yeah, we don't walk. But, I still dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So basically, what was happening was there there was a usher at the end of it who was a faculty member, and he was kind of rushing the students, like grabbing them. If, you know, they took too long and the overwhelming majority of these students were people of color. 
there are some Latinos, they're blacks. And so I, so I think what Mania wants to know is like, if you guys saw that, what kind of is your um, reaction to that? I mean, without even seeing that, I think mean, that's utterly ridiculous. I think graduation day is like one of the most happy days in people's lives. And I think you should be able to celebrate as such. And I think especially when you've got particular students of color celebrating being really happy because, you know, this is something that people don't want to see us do and that a lot of people aren't able to accomplish, you know, within our community. So I think that's awful. And I think that, you know, as long as it's not ridiculous, that students should be able to, you know, show their, their form of celebration and really show how much that means to them. They have family traveling from near and far to watch them, you know, walk across the stage. And I think for that to be, for that to be, you know, dismissed or to be ruined, I think is, is quite offensive in my opinion. Yeah, just to uh, kind of like piggyback off her point, like the numbers that uh, some somebody referenced earlier was like 38% of black people graduate from college. So the fact that, you know, that five seconds where they dance on stage is that egregious, it just shows, again, like the extent of racism in this country. Like it's so yeah. appalling to me. If yeah. anything, it's one of the greatest days in like most, most of our lives. So just let us have this like five to ten seconds to kind of like show out and, you know, they were literally picked up and, you know, picked up and dragged off stage. I think that's utterly ridiculous. Hey, uh, hey, hey Brooklyn Ibrahim, thanks so much for being show. I, I know you got a role, but I just had one question, uh, speaking with dancing. Uh, did any of you see This Is America, the latest music video from Childish Gambino? And, and if, if you did see it, I was just wondering oh, yeah. what, what, your, what your quick reactions were. Yo, uh, Gambino's a genius. Atlanta's genius. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of things in there that I still have to dissect, so I'm gonna go back and watch it a couple more times. But uh, same, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's I've seen amazing. a lot of clips everywhere. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on Instagram. Um, I saw this one girl posted on Snapchat, and this is a black woman, one of my good friends, and she was like, "I'm so confused, I don't get it." So I think I want to sit down and kind of dissect it, like she said, and really watch it. But from what I've seen, it looks awesome. The chore- the choreography looks incredible. So I gotta really kind of piece apart the message of it, but. Um, it's definitely doing numbers everywhere. Well, Brooklyn McDaniels from The Ohio State University, Ibrahim Conte from (laughs) The Morehouse College. Uh, Listen, thank thank you both for being on the show, and and tremendous congratulations. Uh, Congratulations on a job well done, and uh, the best best of luck to you both. But thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mania. Thank you. Good luck to you guys. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. See you guys. Thank you. All right, so. (laughs) After the break, the fellas and I will discuss This is America, the latest music video from Childish Gambino and what it means to black students at HBCUs. Stay tuned. It takes a whole lot to dominate headlines when the NBA playoffs are in full swing, when the president of the United States is pulling the U.S. out of deals with Iran, and when Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are almost almost married. But Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, has done it. Last week, his latest music video, This Is America, pulled over 62 million views and consumed conversations about the state of American culture and how black people experience it. Now, if you haven't seen it, pause this podcast and go to YouTube right now because we'll be sharing some spoilers.
If you can't do that, well, you'll be spoiled. But basically, Gambino is in the warehouse, and there is a lot going on. There's dancing and violence and protest. The Undefeated's Clinton Yates wrote a commentary on the video for The Undefeated. He started by saying that the video gave him nightmares because he didn't think the violence was random. He said it was inevitable and it wouldn't be solved in his lifetime. I I just have a question for the fellows. What were your first impressions uh, of of the video? Uh, Mania? When I first watched the video, I kind of saw little snippets on Twitter and then I decided to watch the full thing. But I was immediately taken aback, especially by the first time where he shot the man in the head and then the second time when he shot the choir. That really just, it it was just a lot at one time. But when I like watched the whole thing, every time I watch it, I see something new from, you know, the kids recording it to the dancing and just the symbolism. The stance he did was like a Jim Crow stance. So it was just, it's just a lot to just unpack. And I, I'm happy that he did the video. Um, I love it. And I love that it's generating more of this conversation. Hey, hey Isaiah, some people said that Gambino is the artist Kanye wants to be. Uh, do you think he's been elevated to a new level of commentator and artist? Uh, and do you take him more seriously? I've always held Gambino to extremely high standard up there with Kanye West. Um, I've been listening to Gambino since I was like a freshman in high school. Um, so I've really seen his, you know, maturation process from writing for 30 Rock to now starring on Community. So I've always held them, you know, to that high standard. You know, I think this is a, it was an amazing video, amazing critique of America. Because if you think about like the origins of hip hop and stuff like that, when let's say when let's take NWA, for example, when NWA really got big and people were like, oh, my gosh, like, what are they talking about? It's so it's so brash. It's so outlandish. They were really commenting on the black experience. And I think that's what Childish Gambino was doing as well. He was commenting on the black experience and the fact that when hip-hop became really monetized and people really started to capitalize off of it. They pushed out a certain narrative of trap music, of F the police, all that jazz. And so this is Gambino's, you know, counter to that. Like, this is America. This is America that we live in, you know, with the gunshots, with the... He murders a whole uh, choir kind of reminiscent of the Dylan Roof shooting. And it's it, it was amazing to see, and I'm really just proud of his maturation process. Hey, hey Donovan, uh, uh, Gambino's gotten a lot of flack for his problematic comments about Asian women and rape. Uh, He says that no topic is off limits when it comes to comedy. Uh, Do you agree? I don't necessarily agree that every topic is is on limits for comedy. I think there are still touchy subjects that need to be, you know, taken with taken with care when it comes to comedy. Um, I think that people look at comedians and the things that they say. I think a lot of people do take it with a grain of salt because they are comedians and they are doing a job to try to make you laugh. But I do think jokes can come out in poor taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey um, uh, Mania, this is for, for you. Um, Kanye recently tweeted something about mental mental slavery. Do you think Gambino offers a, a counter to to what Kanye uh, tweeted? I, I think that it kind of just happened at the same around the same time. I don't think it was a counter argument. However, I do think that it worked perfectly because we've been talking about Kanye and the ridiculousness of him saying that comment. And I just believe that you know it kind of just offers kind of like the two sides of it. 
I definitely agree with Mania in that case. I think it was it was definitely um, a perfect storm for Gambino to release his video um, during this this climate where people are so enraged at Kanye for his statements about slavery and for Gambino to release his video basically commenting on all the injustices that are happening to, you know, African-Americans in America in this day and age. While the video was uh, graphic, it was very refreshing to see that an artist was trying to relay a message um, to African-Americans that basically telling them to wake up, you know, this is what's going on, you know, in our society. And we need to find ways to cope with this. And, you know, we need to put a stop to it. I think that was very refreshing, especially coming off of Kanye's statements, just to have somebody in um, entertainment in the spotlight that, that is um, cognizant of what's going on. But Donovan, if you really think about it, um, he's really been doing this the entire time with Atlanta. You know, I was reading a, a New Yorker article right before uh, the second season came out, and it really, and they really did a deep dive on, you know, why he created Atlanta. And he really was trying to show white people what racism, you know, is like, what it does to black people. Because if you if you watch Atlanta, it's not difficult to notice the social commentary that he has in it. And it's especially if you go back to the very first season when you have the episode when uh, I think it was like the second or third episode when. Uh, the main character, Ern, gets arrested and is in a holding cell with everyone in the room. And you hear people talking about, you see, hear people talking about um, just everything. I just wanted to ask, because um, some people have brought it up. Do you guys think that it makes um, Donald Glover less credible because he has a white wife or does that matter at all? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, but I mean, Jordan, Jordan, I mean, I don't think that you can base that on uh, who you decide to marry. Mar- marriage is based off of love. I don't think that, for example, Jordan Peele has a white wife. Um, he made Get Out. Get Out social commentary is amazing. I don't think that you can really base that on. It's it's a very tricky subject because, you know, your significant other does have a very, very strong influence on who you are, who you become, and how you grow. I think it's interesting that you bring up the point about, you know, him having a white wife. Because I had seen some of, you know, some pushback on Twitter that was saying that Gambino, instead of shooting, you know, black lives, instead of killing black lives in his video, he, he might have gotten a more, he might have made a more poignant point if he would have had white people that were getting shot in his video. Because they were saying, basically the argument was, they were saying that everybody has gotten so used to the sense of the, um, the use of black death, you know, in art, that if you would have shown white people uh, getting shot, it would have been a wake up call to white people. Like, why did he why did he put this in his video? Like, what is he really trying to tell us? And it kind of it's it would have been like a uh, like a role switch that could have possibly, you know, getting people to understand like what like Isaiah mentioned earlier, trying to get. Like he, like what he does in Atlanta, trying to get people to understand, you know, the effects of racism. And I think that reversing those roles might have been, you know, influential in getting white people to see what all goes on, you know, what it's like to, what it's like to be in a black body in America. So I kind of want to get you guys thoughts on that. If you think that it was a good idea to do that or not do that, what do you guys think? But then it wouldn't have been called This is America. If you were shooting white people, it's because that's not America. That's not what happens in America. The fact that it's called This is America means that he is going to show you what it's like to be in America. And see, that's what and that's what I said. I thought it was an interesting point that they brought up about 
implementing white people in the places of the black people that were shot. However, I think that's all based on who do you think the, um, the video was for? Who do you think the message was for? Do you believe the message was for black people? Then they should have stayed black. If you believe the message was for white people, then it should have stayed. They, they, they probably would have been better suited to switch out um, the people getting shot for white people because it would have been able to send a more poignant message to white people. But if you are trying to illustrate to black people that this is the America that we have and we're basically singing and dancing our troubles away because everything going on in the background, I feel like he did that. He did that the way he was supposed to do that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, we're going <laughs> to clearly this debate is going to go on and on and on. Um, I'm sure when we come back next week, people will still be talking about it. And perhaps there'll be yet another video that we're going to be talking about. I'm sure there will be. Uh, but that's all we have um, uh, time for right now. Um, if there's anything else that you'd like for us to cover or comment on, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated. Hashtag Rodenfellows. Now, you could also contact us directly. I'm at W.C. Roden. Uh, you can find your boy at Donovan Dooley at D-O-N-O-V-A-N-D-O-O-L-E-Y. And I can be reached at underscore Medina Chavez. And you can find me in all my hilarious tweets at St. Claude I.I. That's S-T-C-L-A-U-D-E-I-I. <laughs> Hey, listen, thank you uh, for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by the wonderful Aaron Mathewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Uh, get out of the HBCU 468 podcast as well as The Plug, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another scintillating HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone. 